Today is Tuesday, November 16th. The title for our devotional is Story of Reconstruction, Tribalism for Identity in Christ. Being that this is our conference week, the rest of this week and next week, we're going to be doing a brief scripture reading for the devotional and then launching into an interview that I've pre-recorded on the topic. I should say I've pre-recorded or John has. We've interviewed various folks whose stories connect with these topics. We're calling these stories of reconstruction, and they are really, really good. So you're not going to want to miss them. So let's begin today by just reading our text uh, on tribalism for identity in Christ. Matthew 22:15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Remember, the Pharisees here are trying to get Jesus caught up in the culture war and make him stand with one tribe or another. Jesus answers their question, but then calls them back to the core truth that they themselves are created in the image of God, as is their perceived tribal enemy. So in this framework, there's no room for tribalism. Jesus' teaching here points to the truth that transcends politics, as Daryl Bach says. Instead of getting roped into the tribalism of his day, Jesus simply seeks to teach the truth of God. This must be our approach today as well. Teach and live out the truth of God's word without falling into the tribal culture wars. Our story of reconstruction on this topic comes from Jim and Dawn McCormick. Their story wonderfully illustrates how to live out of their identity in Christ and follow the truth of scripture in a way that is not tribal, but is centered on our identity in Christ. Enjoy. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm here with uh, Jim and Don McCormick. And uh, as we're doing this week, we're kind of just trying to hear some stories of reconstruction and hear, uh, hear some stories that will help cement some of the ideas that we've been talking about that are kind of theoretical. Let's bring them to real life and, and see how, how folks within our church and within our community have, have addressed and have dealt with some of these issues and have seen, have seen these things. So um, today we're talking about our tribalism for identity in Christ. Um, so I'm, again, I'm here with Jim and Dawn. So uh, thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, John. I don't know why I'm saying that. I'm talking like this is live and we're on the radio. There's no need to do that. <laughs> so uh, Jim, why don't you start off by telling your story and how it relates to this concept of uh, tribalism? Yeah, in the context of, of tribalism, uh, growing up in the Bible Belt, uh, I, I guess... A fair way to characterize it would be that our tribe, we were taught that there were many, many things that we should be against. I think there was truth to that. And I'll say right here, I'm very thankful for the biblical upbringing that we had. Mm-hmm. But as time has passed, there just there's, there's more truth. There's more to Christianity and a relationship with Jesus that we've learned since. So the, the tribe was, what, what are you against? 
you need to make sure that you stay pure and, and you need to make sure that you stay away uh, from sin. And, you know, the list goes on and on, uh, even into politics and in other areas. It's an oversimplification, but just for the sake of time, uh, there were so many Christians, I think, today, but especially back then, that very much got caught up in the wave of Christian nationalism. But back then, it would have been it yeah. would have been the religious right movement uh, back then. You know, I, I remember going to church and we 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 saw videos when I was a boy about um, the evils of abortion. And and don't get me wrong, I, I think that was true, but that kind of characterizes what uh, what we may have experienced. And you know, it wasn't necessarily people breaking open God's word and teaching why abortion was evil. It was interviews with politicians in the Republican Party that were telling us why abortion was evil. It's just very interesting. I think what that did, though, is it turned our relationship with Jesus to be translated wrongly into what are we against that stance of we're against so much in our tribe that even the good stuff, even the good works end up being transferred to, okay, who can I please? Who can I make happy? Hmm. Who is, who is looking at me and approving of me, whether it be the, the guy who drove the bus in downtown Dallas that we picked kids up on or the pastor of the church, you know, are they pleased with me? And if they're pleased with me, then God must be pleased with me. And so it was all about this don't do so that you're not disapproved of. And even the things that you do, who's approving of that? Uh, instead of seeing reading of scripture, spiritual disciplines like prayer, even fasting. I mean, we again, we could go down that list of healthy spiritual disciplines. Why were we doing that? Well, in our tribe, it was, it was more about who are we going to please mm -hmm. and not trying to deepen a relationship with Jesus. Thankfully, in God's grace, that still happened a lot. I wish there had been a different, different emphasis put on those things. Yeah, I love, first of all, how you can see, how you can be grateful for your upbringing and the biblical foundation that you had, but, but still see some of the ways that your upbringing perhaps didn't align as closely with the way of Jesus as, as you now know. What were some of those things that like you needed to, you needed to check those boxes, whether it's beliefs or behaviors that you needed to do to be in with that tribe? One of the things that I really look back on and regret because I have no idea what happened to this young man, but because of that strict legalistic church background that we actually <laughs> purposely sought out a very similar church when we were in college together uh, in the early days of our marriage. And uh, so I, I was a part-time youth pastor and children's pastor at a church uh, in, in the South Chattanooga, Tennessee, in fact. And we, we had a young man who came in with an earring. Oh, God forbid, he had an earring. You know, as I look back at this, it's just ridiculous. Because of our upbringing, because of what I felt my obligation from the pastor of that church would be, I actually told him that he couldn't come back to church until he took out his earring. 
how, how ridiculous and how evil was that? I mean, I still wrestle with it to this day. What happened to that young man? Because he didn't come back. Why couldn't I have just shared the gospel with him? Uh, why would I expect him to do something, especially that small, <laughs> as, I, as I sit here with a tattoo on my ring finger that Don, Don and I have matching tattoos? Um, I, I just I wish I could go back and have a conversation with my younger self yeah. and uh, really help myself and, and uh, us as a young couple to understand the true way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing, Jim. Don, why don't you tell us a little bit of your story and, and how you've experienced it through the lens of tribalism as well. So my story won't be that different from Jim because we actually grew up together, attended the same church. And just like Jim, I'm very grateful for that foundation, because there is a foundation there, even as you deconstruct and reconstruct your faith. I would say the way I felt tribalism the most, and again, this is my memory, so it could be wrong, but I felt like even preached from the pulpit, it was very clearly expressed that we are doing things the right way, everybody else has got it wrong. It doesn't matter if they are other denominations who I now know better, and know that there are good God-following, Christ-following people in those churches. No, they have it wrong. They And again, like Jim said, they are the enemy, and shame on them that they haven't figured out the right way. Some of it is probably the time period being in the 90s of a lot of your outward appearance. And like you mentioned earlier, John, about checking the boxes. And I am a rule follower by nature, and I am a people pleaser by nature, so I can check Every box you give me, does it mean it's genuine and authentic? No, mm-hmm. it doesn't. I could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, would you characterize your uh, your church bring, upbringing and the things that you were hearing about from the pulpit, to where it was even divided tribally between genuine Christians? Well, if I want to get very specific, <clears throat> we were Independent Fundamental Baptist, and that was a hill to stand on and to mm-hmm. die on. Southern Baptist? No, they were. I mean. I can remember, and I'm so embarrassed by this now because I do not feel this way, and he's in glory now with God, but thinking that Billy Graham was Mm. nothing to be proud of and Mm. no one we would ever want to follow. And again, I'm so ashamed of that, but that's how I was brought up. And I couldn't give you reasons why. Mm -hmm. I can remember one Sunday school teacher talking about how you could – look at a Catholic Bible and you could be saved out of a Catholic Bible. Hmm. I don't know if she went far enough to say there are saved Christians in the Catholic church. I don't have that memory, but I do. And that's about the most open that I, I have memory of hearing growing up. If you can think back to putting yourself back in that place of like, what did that do to your sense of combativeness or how difficult was it when you encountered somebody even in a different like evangelical denomination or, or someone from like the Southern Baptist um, denomination, was it difficult for you to express love towards them? Yeah, there was a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stay in my bubble. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to encounter anybody outside of that bubble. I definitely went to school with people who didn't go to our church and because it was a school, Christian school, church combo. And so there were class members that I had mm-hmm. 
that went to other churches. And I don't remember thinking negatively about them because they were at our school. So of course they believe like we do, you know, but yeah, there was a lot of fear wrapped up in that and wanting to stay in my tribe because that was my safe place. So what did that do to your, to your relationships with friends, with, um, uh, with people who are outside of that tribe, they're at your school, but in a different, in a different church, perhaps what kind of barriers were there? How, how did you kind of like overcome those? Did you uh, early on or, or was that something that was developed later? I would say if you did not go to the church, you were on the outside and vice versa. If you came to church, but you did not go to the school, the Christian school, you were on the outside. Honestly, my closest friends were at both. I don't remember being instructed like to exclude or include. It just was, these were my people and this was my whole world, this school and this church. I do have a memory of a close friend who was with me through elementary and then probably middle school. And then she left the school and went to public school. And I can remember, and we carpooled together. And I remember her mom talking to my mom and encouraging her to come try their Southern Baptist church. And I don't remember my mom's response, but mine was, why would we go to that? No, we're not leaving our church. Cause again, this was my safe place. This was I knew everybody. I knew the rules to follow. I didn't want to have to leave that safe place and and learn a new culture. I don't think I could have thought at the time, I don't want to be challenged. I don't think I was there, but it was all about safety. Hmm. That's good. So this is open up for both of you guys. What was your deconstruction process like? When did you come to recognize some of your overemphasis on your tribal identity or Take us to, through that story of you recognizing that and what that was like. When I really started to understand the history of the church, Big C Church, not just our little, relatively speaking, church in North Dallas, and we had the stance that we were right and everybody else was wrong, but when I really began to read and study and learn about the history of, of God's church, the history of Orthodox Christianity, even to the point of being just shocked that uh, early, early on in church history, some of the folks that we trace back with with Catholic lines were actually our brothers and sisters. How about that? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Education, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we're both educators, was was really, really important in the beginning of the de- deconstruction process. And then I guess if there was a phase two for it, it would be after we were married for a little while and actually uh, God called us away from North Dallas to a different community to serve and, and work in education. And Oh my goodness, we joined a Southern Baptist church and we're so thrilled to see that there are people who really love Jesus. They have a very high view of scripture. They understand the historic and we will die on a hill for these tenets of Christianity. And they actually seem to love the people around them who maybe don't agree with them and aren't saved. So that was huge. And there's more. Um, but I, I think that was, that was the, those were the two big steps in our deconstruction process. I would say, one, I'm really grateful that my deconstruction never involved a complete walking away from my faith. I'm endlessly grateful for that. 
And I would say a lot of it really came when studying scripture on my own instead of, again, instead of checking that box of really digging into scripture and then God bringing people into my life as mentors and friends who were did not grow up in that culture. Are you familiar with BSF, Bible Study Fellowship? It is a an organization where you study the Bible, and it's not church-affiliated. It is worldwide. I went to that, and you literally are not allowed to talk about what church you go to. You are not allowed to talk about the denomination you are affiliated with. You are there to study the Bible and nothing else. And that was revolutionary in my personal walk with Christ, not only because I knew I'm sitting here probably with some Catholics and some Anglicans and some Lutherans and some other Southern Baptists. You know, I just didn't know. And it doesn't matter because we all hold a high value to scripture. And like Jim said, these are the hills we die on. And then there are areas that are not explicitly stated in the Bible. There are areas that we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us one way or another. And that's okay. We can disagree in those areas. One of the things I see often with people who go through a deconstructive process, especially in this area, is like a resentment towards the way that you were brought up. So Jim, as you were saying earlier, and I said, I think it's really good that you can look back on it and be grateful. And Don, you said it as well. You can be grateful for the upbringing that you had in the Bible-based uh, scriptural teaching that you had as a child, but still recognize some of the some of the things that aren't according to scripture based on how you're raised, but still appreciate it. So did you guys ever have a time where where you felt more resentment than than you do now? And what was that healing process like? I, I'll go first on this one. I have to, I say have to, I have to actively work to not resent that because there is a part of me that says, why was I allowed to be brought up in that culture? How, how would I be different if I wasn't? And then I have to stop and, okay, this is God is sovereign. If I believe that, this is where he had me. And I have to look at all of the good that I do have while being grateful I'm at where I'm at now. That's good. Jim? Well, <clears throat> I think it might be helpful to, for me and Don to make one thing pretty clear. Not only are we grateful for so much of our upbringing, but it, it's actually fair to say in both of our cases that there was a difference between our home life and our church life and our school life. Our parents weren't quite as rigid, I guess you could say, and, and did more to help us make the way of Jesus, the real way of Jesus connections to what we were learning in Scripture. Um, both of you have mentioned like there, there are still like the core essentials of the faith that you, that you were raised with and that you've clung to and that are right and true and good. Um, and according to scripture, there are some things that you moved on, whether it's the, uh, your take on the issue in general, the truth of the thing, or just like our approach to the issue. What are some things that you've moved on? And, and what are some of the things that you have kind of put your stake in the ground on? And said, this is the core of my faith. One that comes to mind immediately on the we'll move from is we were brought up that you only read the KJV Bible. Mm -hmm. No, no other, mm -hmm. unless you can, I guess, read Greek or Hebrew, then that might be okay. 
we have we have moved on from that. But that was the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> that's fair. That's one of my favorite ones to pick on. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was going to be my first mm-hmm. answer. But I think also the definition of making disciples. Mm-hmm. We were brought up that we needed to keep score. Uh, literally, the first college that I went to, which ironically and unbelievably was even more legalistic and much more conservative than the one I referenced just a little bit ago. We, we had campaigns where how many people can we baptize? And, and so part of my story is actually working on a bus route in Chicago in the Puerto Rican neighborhoods and uh, knocking on doors almost all day Saturday and trying to get people to come to church on the bus and uh, at the same time sharing the gospel with them. And I, I don't remember that there was any sort of incentive for me personally if I came back and said, hey, I got to lead 12 people to Jesus this week. But there definitely was keeping score from week to week. How many baptisms did we have? And as I look back on it, again, it's like this incomplete Christianity, which in, in a lot of ways makes it um, not completely worthless, but, but for sure lacking uh, did some of those people that I quote unquote shared the gospel with led to led to Christ? Are they going to end up in heaven one day? I, I hope so, and I, I think so. But there was no follow up. There was no making of disciples, true followers of Jesus. So, my definition of making disciples and of spiritual formation of really trying to teach people, and, and then working on this in my own life of being a true lifelong disciple follower of Jesus, not just checking the box. I knocked on X number of doors on Saturday. I shared the gospel with X number of people and we had X number of baptisms as, as a church body. Good for us. Anything else come to mind? I thought of if we wanted a a larger umbrella to put it all in, Mm -hmm. I feel like we were brought up, and some of this is also, I think, comes with your own age, of very black and white thinking, and we had to learn to be comfortable with gray because, unfortunately, much of life lives in the gray, and that was not comfortable, and we wouldn't have been taught to seek that out or to even wrestle with that gray. So that's a huge change of being okay with the gray and how you interpret that gray may be different than I do, and we can still love the same God, and that's okay. The black and white for me is the black and white decisions are those that stem from the historic Orthodox Christianity statements of faith, mm-hmm. which look very much the same across yes. uh, denominations. Those, those are the things that should be black and white, and we should be willing to die on a hill for. But... Methods of evangelism. There was, in and of itself, absolutely nothing wrong with walking around all day Saturday knocking on doors. Uh, How effective was it? Well, we could talk about that. Mm -hmm. But undoubtedly, people heard the gospel. Mm -hmm. But I'm reminded of, you quoted in uh, one of your podcasts the week of October 4th, John, uh, Sky Jathani, I think he was quoting somebody else, but the characterization of the pleated pants 
version of the kingdom of God and discipleship versus the skinny jeans. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, the complete uh, approach to the way of Jesus means that you're wearing skinny pleated (laughs) pants. So in other words, there is... That's a terrible look. I should get me some of those. It might be a terrible look, but in that Sounds like a prophetic image. Yeah, yeah. in in that metaphor, there there should be uh, a foundation on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which leads us to care about mercy and justice and caring for the widows and the orphans and for those that are different from us and making sure that we recognize that uh, the homosexual community, the, the LBGTQ community, they're people created in the image of God. They are worthy of our respect. They have inherent dignity. And then our challenge, and it's not a battle, but it is a challenge, is to lovingly share the gospel mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ with them, bring them into the family of God so that they can not only be Imago Dei, but now they get to be adopted into the family. Yeah. They get to be children of God, Amen. because that's that's the grace that we have been able to experience. And very very few people have come, <laughs> at least come for good and stayed in that family following the way of Jesus because they were coerced into it because somebody was mean to them or cruel to them. Mm-hmm. They came because the way of Jesus is a way of genuine love, sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. I think that was, that was the Scott McKnight line about the plated pants and the skinny mm-hmm. jeans. Just to, just to set the record straight, <laughs> Scott doesn't lose some kudos. Um, so that's one thing that stayed the same is like preaching the gospel, right? Like it is still uh, the, as, as in the sense of salvation and Christ taking our sins for us on the cross is still important. That's something you guys haven't moved on. What, what are some of those like big, big rock issues that you guys have not moved on still. I think having a high view of scripture, mm-hmm. yeah. it doesn't, but yeah, valuing scripture above all, mm. all, all else. And that's where truly that's where you're going to get your answers. Yeah. In your spiritual formation, as you've, have you, as you've grown in your understanding of your identity in Christ and who he has created you to be and who he's called you to be, how has that kind of combated some of the tribalism from your early years? I think we're still in the process. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we'll describe ourselves as recovering legalists. You know, for me personally, it's, it's still to this day very difficult to, um, I think, even come close to viewing myself the way that I believe God views me. It, it's still, I still feel as if I'm programmed in a lot of ways to make sure that I'm doing when God is perfectly content to me for me to start with being in loving union with him. Uh, the doing then becomes a very healthy and necessary result of being. And so, you know, intellectually, uh, cognitively, I understand the distinction. I understand the way the process should work. And, you know, if, if I were to, characterize my my walk with Jesus these days it's making sure that I'm constantly trying to remind myself and that the the scripture is is working to make sure that I start with being with Jesus so that I can do out of that time the tasks 
the, the necessary ministry, the stuff that we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, again, like Jim said, it's ongoing because the the question that is really in my mind lately, last year and a half or so, but it it's longer than that. I just didn't have it formed as an actual question is whose disciple am I? I, I am not a disciple of my pastor. Mm-hmm. I am not a disciple of any other faith leader that I may read or, you know, partake of their good content. Mm-hmm. I am a disciple of Christ and that is it. Mm-hmm. And as a disciple of Christ, he is the one that I look to and he is the one that I emulate and he is the one that keeps me safe and leads me and, and will never fail. Mm-hmm. Not any human being on this earth. Amen. I think that's a really good place to leave it. I think there's so much value in just recognizing what it's doing to your heart. If you find yourself unable to love those who you disagree with more, problem. If you find yourself not able to pray for those who are persecuting you, that's a problem. That's not the way of Jesus. And knowing the way of Christ so well that when we see those things creeping up into our own heart, we can identify them and kind of put our finger on it and pray for the Holy Spirit to root that out of us.